there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right. So huge thanks again to everyone who joined us last month in Tokyo for the Japan Real Estate Summit in person or online. If you're following the podcast or our YouTube channel, you've probably already seen or heard the presentations that were recorded and posted online. If you also want to grab a copy of the slides themselves, those are now available on the downloads page, which we'll link to in this episode's show notes. Uh, Emil's presentation, which was unfortunately not recorded as mentioned, isn't there, but as you may know, he's held a special session for everyone who missed it, which will also soon be available on the same downloads page. So if it's not there when you check it out, just revisit the page in a few days or a week, and you'll hopefully be able to view or listen to that one too. Also, big news, Anton Worman's book, which he's uh, unveiled at the summit, Free Houses in Japan, is now live on Amazon. We'll link to it in this episode's show notes, but if you just search for the title on Amazon, you'll be able to easily find it. Highly recommended reading for anyone interested in Akia's renovations and in potentially profiting from Japan's abandoned and vacant homes. Okay, so for today's episode, this is a conversation I've had a few months back with a couple who are planning to relocate to Japan. And we're wondering about the various types of visas that may be available to them, in particular the business management visa, and how they could potentially leverage a potential investment for this purpose. We discussed the feasibility of investing in real estate versus in businesses, a franchise or standalone, which my other company, Nippon Bridge, also facilitates on behalf of clients. The concept of a passive or semi-passive investment portfolio, how much money it actually takes to apply for and then renew a business management visa, as well as how much money it actually takes to live in Japan. Uh, we talk about reverse engineering investment opportunities based on that required income, how to plan and build an investment portfolio over a period of several years or more, uh, mortgages, forex rates, and how to avoid being stung by forex rates. And also a bit about tenancies, how do Japanese tenants differ from tenants overseas, uh, remote versus hands-on management of rental properties, and much, much more. So a really good uh, bird's-eye kind of view, uh, chat about property and other types of investments, financial management, and relocation to Japan. Enjoy the conversation, and I'll see you again on the other side. So I guess the, the first thing to unpack in everything you've you've said so far is maybe the passive ingredient that you've mentioned, because... If you're talking about investing 
to a point where it actually supplements your your income substantially enough so that you can live off or at least partly live off it. Um, the the concept of passive kind of goes out the window because you'll be constantly looking at your income and your expenses and fine fine tuning and tweaking and if it's property tenants move in and out if it's a business um, staff leaves and you need to hire and train new staff so it can be passive if you've got one or two or three doors and you're just looking at a monthly report but that's not going to supplement your income enough to be able to do that more than other things right it's just going to be like pocket money kind of thing. So once it does become like we do have customers with um, 30, 40, 50 doors and and they are living off it, but it's by no means passive. So that's the first thing to consider. And the second thing is that um, on the passivity scale, maybe property would be on one end, but running a business would be on the other end. So if you're looking a franchise business can be run remotely on your behalf, but you're still you'll still need the bandwidth and you'll still need to make decisions in the beginning, definitely on a biweekly or monthly basis after everything is smooth and profitable, maybe once every few months, but then crisis hits and you do have to be involved again. So let's just get the passive piece of the puzzle clear first. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's not, it doesn't necessarily need to be, to be passive. It's just more getting away from the nine to five, you know, work cycle. Yeah. Of you know every day nine to five no real freedom to um, you know move outside of that and um, okay and, and kind of live and go off and do our own thing work for ourselves a little yeah yeah and I'm and if it's and I will say you know I I, I myself have at least lost a little bit of passion for my my current career lifestyle so that has you know a big part of it and like I'm not excited to do my my job eight hours a day whereas if it was something you know, if it is something I'm invested in, in this case, quite literally, um, mm. whether it's a, a a property or, you know, a business, I think that would be um, more fun, much more, much more interesting. And, yeah. and, you know, keeping my, you know, my time and, and my uh, energy and, and thought process. Totally. And I'm, I'm 100% with you. I mean, I'm also enjoying, I mean, it's nonstop work if you have your own thing, whether it's an investment or a business, but it's also everything that you've mentioned, the flexibility, the mobility, the ability to schedule things in and out according to your own schedule. It's, I wouldn't change it for the, okay. So then the next piece becomes, what do you need to live comfortably on a monthly basis and how long would it take you to get there? So you've mentioned rough annual numbers, but to make the switch, let's put it this way, so that you can maybe quit your job and just focus on investing, how much would you need to generate in monthly income, do you think? Where Well, are we talking about where we currently live? Well, or... I mean, you're not going to move before that, so that'll be the first step, I guess, yeah. Well, there there are a couple things that go into that. Um, we would, so our biggest ex- expense, for instance, is is our mortgage on our home. Uh, so we do own a home. Uh, it's and we still have a mortgage, uh, but we would want to keep it and rent it. Um, so I think we would probably um, end up making a couple hundred dollars more than the mortgage cost if we if we did that. Yep. Um, our second biggest expense is childcare. Um, and again, the thought process is either that we wouldn't be paying any childcare or wherever we, we would be going, it would be significantly less um, than what we already currently 
uh, uh, thing. Um, okay, but but I mean, I'm putting the move aside for a moment just right. because it's it's maybe a good few years away, and by then your life circumstances might change, and you might you know have visited another country for a few months and found out that actually you prefer not to move there. So uh, let's assume you're staying where you are, and if things get better and you know cost of living go drops because you've moved somewhere else, that's you know a bonus. But let's assume you're living where you are. How much would you need? to comfortably make the switch from a day job to investment or to running a business or whatever the case may be. Um, I would say at least 5,000 a month. A month. With what we currently have, plus like and childcare. Yeah. No, minimum. <laughs> Okay. Five, uh, maybe 8,000. Yeah, I was going to say five is like just mortgage and childcare. Okay. So 8,000 US dollars in Japanese yen at the moment is approximately 1.1 million, let's call it. So 1.1 million times 12 is an annual income of about 13 million yen or at current rates about 100,000 US. So to generate 100,000 US from property investment, let's assume you know conservatively property investment would normally generate something like 4 to 5% net pre-tax a year. So to generate that much, let's say 13 Point two. If that's going to be four percent, that would mean times twenty-five. So, for a property investment in a reasonable location in Japan to generate the kind of income that you need annually, you'd need to invest approximately three million US, assuming the four percent annual return. Right. So that's what I meant by the time the portfolio gets this large, because that's obviously going to take some time. We haven't discussed your budget. Right how much you've got in cash. If you're not living in Japan, you're not going to be eligible for financing. So your only other option would be maybe like a personal loan from the US, but then interest rates right. would be very high. So assuming cash purchases, um, to generate that kind of income that would enable you to live off that income would take 3.3, oh, about 3 million yen, uh, about three, sorry, about 3 million US dollars. Um, in typical Japanese properties. And, it, you know, we might be able to tweak that, but then another property will be vacant and the income will drop. So let's take that as a ballpark figure. Right. So I'm assuming so, that's something that most people don't have in cash. So that would take some buildup, right? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll just say my thought process, yep. um, just so you know where I'm, I'm coming from, is um, I'm kind of, so I'm imagining, you know, at least starting off with with the with our first investment, we would you know continue working here for some time before we moved. Um, but when when the time to move did come, you know, so if we let's say we take that eight thousand that we're estimating, um, and yeah, our mortgage is roughly two thousand seven hundred of that, um, and I would expect you know not only we would end up renting our house. Um, so, you know, that, that 2,700 would come off the table and actually generate you know, an additional 500. So that's, 
But then you're like paying 3, rent somewhere else, right? Yes. Yes. Um, but I'll, I'll have to I'll have to write down the numbers and, and maybe and maybe um, email it to you on on my thought process. Yep. Um, but um, so so thinking that, and then um, again the cost of childcare and and our via, you know vehicles um, is another couple thousand dollars. Um, and one thing we didn't mention is that um, from my wife's time in the military, she does collect um, disability, um, which is sixteen or seventeen hundred dollars a month. Um, so is the plan to keep saving from these various sources of income and then slowly expanding the, the property portfolio over time? Is that what you're thinking? I mean, that's what we've done in a lot of our customers. So I'm just assuming. Right. Start anyway. Yeah, yeah. At least, at least starting off. Um, and uh, it's not necessarily that we have to completely live off, you know, off of this 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 income. Um, th though, I guess at some point when we talk about visas, that may come into play. Yeah, I mean, um, that was that was my like the golden right. post at the end of it is when you reach that level. I, of course, I understand right, right. steps along um, the way, but but the irre well, not irreversible, but kind of irreversible act of quitting your job and potentially moving to another place would have to you would have to have an income to support you at that level. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So if we're slowly building the portfolio, that's not a problem. With businesses, um, franchise or otherwise, we can expect a reasonably profitable, successful business to generate, hopefully, at least 10% a year. So it's a lot more than the, the semi-passive property income. Um, but that's, again, we haven't talked about your savings or budget, but that's something that I would maybe not advise if it's in your entire life savings to put it into a business because a business is a business it can be seasonal the location can go downhill right. for any reason it might be horrible staffing issues which will leave you without any significant income for a year those are things that don't happen with property investments in most cases the most you'd have is two three four months between tenants nothing more than that right so maybe this is a good time to slightly touch on your savings and budget and and because we want to make sure you're not again putting your entire nest egg into some potentially profitable but maybe not business right yeah so the current thought would be that we would be going the home equity loan route um uh, so you and... can draw on that for whatever purpose not just for property purchases in the US I believe so. Um, I will. Similar interest rates to a mortgage, or it's more. Um, so current rates are about eight percent average. Um, uh, so, wow. Well, that's crazy. Uh, the, the, yeah, it depends on um, if if I did a home equity loan, which I would have to take the full lump sum uh, at one time. Versus yeah. uh, the other option would be um, a home equity line of credit or HELOC, um, which I could take smaller sums over a longer period of time uh, is a higher interest, slightly higher interest rate. Uh, but yeah, it's it ranges between depending on what I do and how much uh, how much I want to pull out between six and nine percent would be the, the interest rate there. 
Well, for property um, investment, that puts you in negative gearing land, though. And the because you're going to be making because you're going to be making four or five percent on the property and paying eight, let's call it six, seven, eight percent on the interest. Right. The thought of that would be at least while we're still here, um, we would be able to put you know large chunks of our current cash flow from our jobs um, to pay that off. Um, so we're not actually getting those interest rates um, if we, you know, if we paid off, you know, faster. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know. They're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. Um, well, the other thing to consider is not to, because you're go, if you're going to be investing overseas, there are also exchange rate considerations. You wouldn't want to transfer your income back home every month because that's like a hundred bucks a pop to transfer it out of Japan. Right. Um, so you, really, really crucial that you don't invest with money that you need to pay off your mortgage or shopping at home or anything like let that money sit there until it's actually profitable to send it back home. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. And, um, again, I, I need, I need to reach out to a bank to discuss. Um, so, so currently I believe I, we could probably pull out 120 to 150,000, um, max, um, for that loan. Um, and I would have to look at what that means for, you know, minimum monthly payment versus how much we could afford to pay on that. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think, um, you know, we, we wouldn't be relying on that income to come back to us. Um, it would, we would just see it as a payment for us uh, to make on our side. 
No, it'll, it'll definitely come yeah. back to you. But the, the ideal situation would be to monitor the exchange rates, transfer funds to Japan when they're low, and then pull the income right. back when they swing the other way, right? So as long as you keep on track of that and you don't have to withdraw the income, then you can actually profit rather than lose on the exchange rates. Right. Which is, well, okay, so look, if you're talking about loans and equity lines, and this is a loan, obviously, equity line out of the house that you're living in, um, I would, I mean, we'll do whatever you tell us to, and I'm happy to take your money any way you choose, but I would maybe advise not to go for the business, go for safe and stable first, start with a property investment. Yep. And I think that's, my wife would be much more comfortable with that because yeah. I, I was basically talking the same, saying the same thing you are as far as the investment properties were, uh, you know, much safer, um, mm -hmm. especially in, in Japan, as far as, you know, keeping tenants and, and things like that. Um, so, I mean, we have risks. We have other risks that right. we don't have, but we don't have ghettos and drug labs and 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 um, you know, yeah, people um, setting in homes and yeah, squatters exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I read some of the the papers you you put out recently on on um, the investment properties. Big fan, and, big fan of yours. <laughs> but, but, I mean, we, we do have old people die in properties. That's never fun. Right. And rent keeps going down rather than up over time, or at least stays, stays stable, definitely doesn't go up. Right. So, I mean, we have our problems here, but it is a hassle-free management. That's the best thing I can say about it. And they're, the properties are quite affordable. I mean, you can get an affordable property anywhere in the world, but I mean, investment properties that will actually generate income are, are affordable in Japan. Right. Yes. For us. So looking at investment properties here in the US, we would have to spend probably like minimum, at least in a, if we were looking in our area, like 300,000 minimum to find a property. Um, Is there any advantage for it being in your backyard, though? Why not go to some? I mean, you'd be employing property managers in any case, I assume, right? Um, I'm well, just if it was how it works. Yeah. If, if it were local, um, at least if we, you know, starting off, I would probably not have a property manager. I'd probably try and do everything myself. Um, okay. Uh, if it were, if it were like a single property, if it were, you know, once it started to scale, um, that would not be an option anymore. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, that's something we've still been keeping an eye on um, as potential. But yeah, the just the housing market has been really crazy. You might find that that um, I'm not sure how much it is in the U.S. Here it's five percent that we pay property managers. Um, you might find that just that five percent that you're paying them is well worth it, and just giving you the bandwidth to go and pursue other investment properties and do stuff other than I mean, if you start chasing tenants and maintenance and renovations on your own. It's um, it becomes a full time job. Yeah. But I mean that, but, yeah. That to to each their own. I I I wouldn't want to deal with tenants personally. But yeah, I get it. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's something we we've still been keeping an eye on as a possibility if the right thing came up. Yeah. Um, but it just really hasn't, and it's such, and it is such a large investment. Um, you know, to drop three hundred thousand on on a single uh, investment. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so the idea of, you know, being able to, to spend, you know, much less than that um, yep. internationally and potentially have other benefits um, that come along with that. Um, okay, so now to 
to do broach the longer term aspect, either of those investments, just because of the budget that you're talking about and the income that they're going to generate, um, as they stand, would not help you with a visa. You're not going to be making okay. enough money to qualify for a visa for that. I mean, you'd qualify maybe to get it for a year, but then you have to renew it every year. And to do that, you need to show that you've got taxable income in Japan of about 2.3 or 2.4 million yen, um, which an investment of that capital is not going to generate. So that would have to be something that you would do either in another way. For example, let's say, just an example, let's say you were to stay in, in your current line of business, you could open a consultancy um, here in Japan, set up a Japanese company, invoice your customers via the Japanese company, and that would maybe generate the additional income or the needed income to qualify and continuously renew the business management visa. But if you're just talking about a property investment or even a, a lower entry-level uh, capital franchise, that's not going to generate enough for that. And that was something else I was looking at is uh, just looking at the talking about visas is the um, if if you're aware of the, the highly skilled professional visa, um, which I think we we would both qualify for, yep. um, and and we'd actually meet the the highest requirement as far as um, based on, on the, going off the point system. I know some of that has changed recently, but um, which would then allow us, I think, to be able to hit permanent residency after like one year. Um, which is is there no requirement the is there no requirement to be employed for that year in that field though yes yeah okay. yeah yeah so um so, so you have to find a job in the sponsor to get started right yes and I, I actually was uh, several months ago looking actually looking around and talking to a couple of Japanese uh, companies that I interviewed with um, but then we had our second child, so we kind of put that on hold. Um, okay, so that so is... it does, but it does seem like a feasible option. They are in conversation with you. It does seem like they might hire. Okay, that's good. Oh, if, I mean, if not, yeah. then somebody like them. But yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, that that definitely is an option as far as um, getting a visa. Um, it's not the, it's not my end goal. Um, you know, just don't uh, tell them because... that when you're interviewing them. Okay. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> Yes, it's not my angle. I, I don't want to be again, you know, doing the nine to five job. It's especially, um, you know, if it's for an international company, maybe that's one thing. Uh, but uh, oh, for a Japanese company, it's not going to be nine to five. Forget about that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my. <laughs> no, but it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone, and it's definitely a way to get there. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's kind of the thought process on the on the visa. Um, so maybe that does make the most sense is to kind of pursue that um, and see how that goes. Who knows? Maybe I, I'd even enjoy it and, and you know, stay. And, and stay. And that would that would make up all of our all of our income requirements. Yeah. I mean, um, same, but, job, uh, same job in a more exotic environment might do it. Right? <laughs> hey, little yeah. mindset change. Yeah. But, um, but yes. Um, so. But again, it's yeah, it's back to the first. It's back to the first part of our conversation that we had offline. Is it's kind of first world problems. Like you've got all these options that you maybe need to tweak a little bit, but there are options there, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I mean, I guess you've noticed what we've been putting out. I 
property-wise, you know what you can get for this budget in Japan, roughly. It's going to be one or two condo units in, we probably wouldn't advise central Tokyo or Osaka, but otherwise a um, second or maybe third tier city if it's a particularly good one. Um, and that would generate, hopefully, out of Tokyo, maybe 5 to 6% before tax. Um, which, again, would mean... 120,000, about 6,000 bucks a year in income-ish, right? In in taxable income, then you'll need to pay a little bit of tax on that, but hopefully not for the right. first few years because you'll be claiming all of your purchase costs as deductions. Okay. And so what are we estimating the, the upfront costs would be based on that? That's the, uh, sorry, I was going off the hundred and twenty thousand that you've mentioned. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what we would be able to do with a property investment. With a franchise business investment, hopefully maybe double that. So twelve thousand for that same capital outlay. But again, as your first investment in a foreign land with your entire life savings and an equity line on your home, I wouldn't go that way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that would be an option um, that we could look at is the investment property route. And if that makes sense. And it's a matter I think of where, where are you going to get the best results if you park your money? Right. But again, if you're, do you have savings or is it only the line of equity that you're going to, because that's going to be, the interest is higher than what you'll be getting. Right. Um, I mean, we do, but it was it's um, it's more set aside as you know in emergency savings, like six months salary salary savings. Um, gotcha. That I, I wouldn't really want to touch okay. um, currently. Um, yeah, I think right now we'd want to go back and look at if we do want to currently pursue an investment property, um, what that would look like for us, U.S. versus Japan. Um, yeah. Just because I know we could potentially make more, um, but we're also spending a lot more in the U.S. Um, well, I mean, you can get an investment loan in the U.S., which is not an option here. That's true. Mm. And then cash on cash, you're actually spending, I'm guessing, about the same amount and getting slightly higher return. And yeah, my, my biggest thing was looking at... Um, really the the visa basically coming in on the the business visa potentially and um and you know not having to work that nine to five was is like the the dream goal you need um, to invest a bit more to get to that point now. right so if we're yeah, talking so think, about yeah. let's say take the the kind of the higher risk road if we're talking about a franchise which would generate maybe about 10 percent so your budget would get you 12,000 bucks a year from a franchise for that same amount. So instead of six, you go to 12, let's say. That's still just half of what you need to renew even one of your two visas, right? Right. Um, we could get really lucky and you'll do really well in business. It'll generate 20, 30, 40%, but that's speculation right. now. Okay. Yeah, and I think we're looking at 
Well, the ideal goal would be in one to three years um, is what we would like to be in order, you know, for moving uh, from the U.S. So maybe as far as as far as actually moving and uh, visa wise, still that probably still puts us in the um, you know finding in you know actual international job or, you know, job in Japan and going the highly um, skilled visa route. Yeah, um, I'd say if the goal is to move here within a handful of years and you don't see a scenario where your investment capital, or, sorry, your savings capital will grow exponentially for any reason in the next few years, then I think maybe your best option is either, yes, a sponsored job and then applying for the highly skilled visa or alternatively the business manager route by setting up a private consultancy. Okay. That'll be the quickest yeah. way that I can see um, to a potential long-term visa. But I'm no immigration lawyer. I can put you in touch with Don <laughs> and have some new ideas. This is just off conversation we've had with other customers and, and immigration lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll have to think about what makes sense. We'll We'll go back and look at some numbers. Yeah. Especially considering the loan. Um, and what that would mean for a U.S. investment property versus a Japanese investment property. Yeah, I, I do that as a first step because even if you end up moving in one or three or five years, you want your money working for you during that period of time. So right. just figure out where's the best place to park it for now so that it does become something that would potentially maybe give you more options down the track. And then, you know, whether it's home or overseas, put it to work and then figure out the rest. Yeah, I think um, I think while we while we still have you um, uh, as far as so so for us moving out there when when that does happen. Um, so we did we actually did travel to um, Japan back in, in 2018 for, for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, we. I think we really enjoyed, you know, the southern region um, down in, of course, you know, we were very limited in where we could travel. We were in the, uh, you know, kind of Kyoto region. Um, uh, just and I think up, we, if we get kicked out of Zoom, because I'm about to run out of the Oh, floor, no worries. I'll just save the recording and jump back in there. So it'll take me about five minutes to get back in. Okay, okay no worries. I was just, just, just talking about... Um, kind of where where we would initially jump in and and kind of find a place um to, to stay live, and whether no, not the huh? to live a place to live you mean a, a place to live and whether it makes sense to purchase the property that we would live in and then potentially use that as an investment property as we either travel um and find other areas that we may like um yeah, and you kind said of you've got a family of four right Yes. Um, the properties you'd be comfortable living in would not make very good investment properties and vice versa. You would not want to live in the properties that do make good investment properties. So I would not do it that way. And also okay. being a family, a, a, a foreigner family, I'm assuming you want a backyard or a front yard, um, a house or maybe a condo with a big balcony at least. No? Okay. Justin no? doesn't care about that. I do okay. a little more. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I mean, maybe more of an option, but then it becomes a case of 
you know, how old is the building, how central it is. The criteria would be a little bit different, at least to investment properties. It's something to look at. It's it's potentially you could do a hybrid, but it's not going to make the best investment usually. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, just wondering if, if, uh, if we did set up a home base kind of area somewhere and then kind of keep, you know, actually purchase that property. Then as we move out, find other areas we may like, we would, you know, rent that property. Um, it's, it's definitely doable. Yeah. It's just, um, uh, you know, I mean, if, if it's not the, the best option, then yeah. maybe we travel around, find where we like, and then potentially purchase the property where we like if if that is our goal at the time. But it's not the best option for investment, but if it's the best right. option that suits your lifestyle, why not? All right. Well, I think if we have any, um, as we have follow up questions or anything, I'll I'll shoot those over to you and kind of figure out what we want to do. Sounds perfect. <laughs> we'll wait to hear. From I appreciate you. you spending your some of your morning with us. <laughs> so there you have it. A nice and thorough macro review of all things related to investment in Japan. I really like the long term planning nature of this chat. Hope you found some value in it as well. And again, feel free to hop over to our Japan Real Estate Summit downloads page to find the events, presentations, recordings, and slides. You can find it at the top of our website, nippontradings.com. That's N I P O N Nippon Tradings with an S, all one word.com. And also check out Anton's book, Free Houses in Japan, on Amazon. We'll link to both again in this episode show notes as well. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com. And he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!